1: First guest of the evening is truly a poet he's an artist he is a, a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think who has ever played
0: the guitar uh, or tried to write poetry would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot Try to understand I'm not your ordinary man. Still, I can't deny you go with me everywhere. When I'm dreaming, you still share my lonely nights. Try to see my side. It's not your ordinary pride that keeps me driving on. It's that lonesome, restless feeling that you feel under the gun, and it leads me to the highway, but it keeps my body warm. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today, making her fifth, count them five appearance on the show, is Deb Radwan. Deb, thank you so much for joining me today and for the rest of this series. Hey, thanks for keep inviting me back. Oh, <laughs> love having cool. you because we have a lot to talk about. Uh So we're going to be looking at ordinary man today. Uh, This is off the Don Quixote album, and we'll talk more about that album uh, in a little bit, but why do you enjoy it? And I think we always begin our talks like this. Okay. Why do we particularly enjoy this song for me? I love it because it's a pure folk song. It's kind of a throwback to Gordon's early work. It's not trying to be anything other than what it is. Okay. It's just a couple of guitars and bass and then a string arrangement. Um, and it's very reminiscent of things that he did in the mid-1960s. So that's the reason I enjoy it just on the surface. And what about you? Why do you enjoy it?
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right. This is very much a troubadour-type song, you know, where it's really just him and his guitar, very simple arrangements. Um, the the focus is on the lyrics and his voice and the music and uh, kind of in the old tradition where you don't have uh, much else to distract you of what's going on. Um, as always, I'm drawn to the lyrics, which we'll get to. But, uh, you know, I always love these autobiographical tunes. And this is very early in his um, success. And... Uh, to me, it's just a beautiful, beautiful song.
0: Yeah. And it is an autobiographical song, but it's not really a retrospective, which has been what we've seen with the others right. that he's done in this little series. Mm-hmm. Um, but and we'll talk more about, you know, the state of mind that he right. was in. Um, what would be your ideal setting for listening to this? You you said that, you know, you would, it's a song that there's not much in getting in the way, you know, that right. there's no place to hide with this song, right. as far as the musicians are concerned. So, where would you like to, uh, where would you most like to hear this played, or where would you most like to listen to it? What would the setting be?
2: Well, you know, when I think of it, I think of kind of um, sitting on my sofa, looking out the window, kind of a rainy day, um, kind of feeling introspective. Um, It's a kind of a contemplative song, quietness, you know, around um, where I'm just really focusing on the song and don't have a lot of other, some songs you can have in the background while you're doing other things. This is one I would want to sit and really just savor.
0: Yeah. And I think for me, if I could have an ideal setting, I can see him playing in a small club. Or a cafe mm-hmm. uh you know around the time that this was written if i could go anywhere or more right. back in time you know before he's become really well known so let's say pre uh sit down young stranger uh if he had written it you know before then i think that would be the ideal right he really does demand that you don't pay any attention to anything except this and i can also see me being in that setting and everybody else being very angry at me if I talked, which is the kind <laughs> of they talk. Where, yeah. You know, yeah. or you know, I I don't think Gordon necessarily stop and look at us, right. but I think other people would, you know, be find that really disappointing. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the beginnings of this song. Um what do you know about how the song got written or what state of mind Gordon was in when he wrote it?
2: Well, um, I think this was right after his divorce that a lot of it's not even just this song. It's that whole album uh, seems very full of kind of explaining himself, having regrets, uh, very sorrowful. There's lines in other songs like. you know, wishing this was all a dream and I'd find you sleeping next to me or thinking of a daughter and a son in other songs. You know, that whole album just seems to speak to this point in time um, where he and Britta had just split up and his kids weren't around. and He's just beginning his career and there's no stopping him
0: yeah it was around the time that he and Britta had ended their marriage he did move back in with her for a few days and Mm -hmm. that apparently didn't last very long at all so he went back to his uh high-rise apartment and then Kathy Smith I think moved back in with him right because you know the marriage was over um Nicholas Jennings uh had a quotation on this okay that (laughs) Lightfoot apparently played at Carnegie Hall in late 1971. It may have been December like this time of year, but in any case, what he said was what Jennings said was one of the new songs he performed at his two night series at Carnegie spoke volumes about his ambition, the pressure to create the lure of the road and the toll it all took That and the toll that all of it took on his marriage. It was a stark confessional called Ordinary Man. In an interview in New York with England's melody maker, he was asked to explain the origin of the song. I've been through some of life's pitfalls, like I wasn't able to stick it out on the domestic scene, Lightfoot admitted to the female reporter. I guess the song is written to my wife. And I can understand that. I mean, without even getting into the specifics of what happened between Gordon and Britta, just the fact that he's a working musician, he's on the road, he doesn't have a predictable income or a predictable schedule. We've seen that do damage to marriages since rock and roll began. And so this is obviously no exception to that. Um, And it makes perfect sense that it would be written to Britta. Um, Can you add anything to that?
2: No, I think this, you know, he admits in, uh, I think it was the documentary, that every breakup he's ever had has been traumatic, that it was so painful for him. And uh, I can believe that because I think he's a person who feels very deeply. Um, And I think this song kind of talks about it being torn between Maybe the life he should have had and the life that he was destined for on the road. Um, I think that whole album speaks to that state of mind and uh, letting that part of his life go. And. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. The fact that the album is called Don Quixote is that's a whole other podcast right there. (laughs) I mean, the fact that he is named it after this character who is living, not living in the real world, you know, that he's living in this world that is largely of his own making, you know, and I think he may have seen himself as being, I don't want to say a fraud, but certainly that he was trying to be something that is other than real?
2: Well, I think he, Don Quixote is always tilting at windmills, but he's always believing the best. And it doesn't always turn out that way. And I think for Gordon, that's kind of the same. You go out and you believe, and you want to believe that everything is going to go as it should. And people are going, everyone's going to live
0: happily ever after. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's an interesting angle on why he called it that. I mean, the title track is obviously about the person in the Cervantes book. I'll be talking about that on the next show. But interesting stuff. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Ordinary Man. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Is that song really a cover? What instrument are they playing there? What do those crazy lyrics mean? If you're the kind of person who thinks about stuff like that, you're in luck because I've got just the podcast for you. How Good It Is chooses a single song each episode and takes a dive into the story behind the song and the artist who made it famous. I'm Claude Call. You can find me in your favorite podcast software or just point your browser to howgooditis.com.
2: How Good It Is
0: Let's start jumping into the lyrics now. A yeah. little bit. Um, try to understand. I'm not your ordinary man. Still, I can't deny you go with me everywhere. When I'm dreaming, you still share my lonely nights. Okay. So the implication seems like she doesn't completely understand why he does what he does, because otherwise he wouldn't have led off by saying, right. try to understand. right? Um, and he's trying to assure her that he's thinking of her the entire time and that he wishes he was back home with her. I'm sure that is true on some level because he obviously loved Britta. He loved his children. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, being the consummate musician that he is, there had to have been times where he wasn't actively missing her. He was just concentrating on performing and on playing to his audience and loving them. Um, rather than, you know, going on stage and just thinking about Britta and his kids the whole time. Do you have any thoughts?
2: No, I think you're right. When he starts the the song by saying, try to understand, I'm sure there were many fights of why can't you stay local? Why can't you come home every night? Why can't you perform here? Why do you have to go on the road? Why do you have to be gone for three months? Um, You know, we can make do. You know you with with you being local, or you know, I'm sure there were many arguments over that because i I could imagine that myself, you know, um, uh, and you know, he's just trying to justify it and say, you know fortune has smiled on me, and I'm gonna take advantage of it i this I'm not an ordinary guy sitting singing at the bar, you know. Um, this is something special and,
0: or I'm I'm not the guy singing at the bar anymore because we know that he had begun singing in bars. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think he's
2: telling her, it doesn't mean I don't love you. And it doesn't mean I don't think of you. Um, but try to understand, you know, I'm going to go do this.
0: Yeah. And it is something that has driven him all his life, whether or not anybody understands it. Uh try to see my side. That's their idea of, again. Okay, there's your side, right. there's my side. It's not your ordinary pride that keeps me driving on. Now he's copying here a little bit to being prideful or maybe even egotistical, more than other men, maybe more than other people generally. Okay. Maybe he's confessing to feeling insecure when he's not performing.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I think he is just saying this isn't your, this isn't your ordinary pride in that. I don't want to look wrong. I don't want to, uh, say I'm not good enough this is something special. This is not ordinary pride. This is big time. And, um, you know, try to understand that, you know, that this is not, um, this isn't just me being proud. This is, this is big time, a big opportunity.
0: Yeah. And I think it also just has to do with He's a performer and all performers probably have, they get that rush from being on stage and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? I mean, the more acclaim you get, the more you want and- lightfoot who at this age is maybe 33 maybe 34 years old okay so he's certainly old enough so he's not a kid anymore but he has now gotten a taste of what that's like at least since 1970 and maybe before but certainly with sit down young stranger okay now he's become a superstar right and so he is needing more of that or he is hooked on it like he can't help himself he has to keep right. doing this you know right. being chained to the road to use another metaphor it's that lonesome restless feeling that you feel under the gun and i did some looking up of this okay that being under the gun in poker which is where that phrase comes comes from okay that's the player who has to act before anybody else in the hand And in Texas Hold'em, the idea is, okay, you have to act before the next card is turned over. Okay, you're the first one. So there's a lot of pressure that's on you. And I know that he must have felt the pressure because he was under contract, because he had obligations, he had to meet expenses, as Billy Joel would say, Billy Joel would say, um, and he's now making money and he's got to keep it going, you know, yeah. especially again in the past two or three years leading up to this record.
2: Well, and I think once you've had that hit, um, you don't want to be the one hit wonder. You know, there's always that pressure. Of where, where's the next one? You know, and, um, you know, on that album, he had, um, you know, Sundown was on. No, that was on Sundown. But, um, you know, there was that pressure to keep it going, keep the money coming in. The studios, I'm sure, were pressuring him. Um, You got to go on the road. You've got to promote your albums. You know, you got to keep writing. Where's the next hit? Um, So it isn't even a self-inflicted pressure. It is a pressure um, from all around. And, you know, he says it's that lonesome, restless feeling. And I think it is lonesome. You know, you're the one who's got to write the song. You're the one who's, you know, got to come through with the next one. And um, I think it is it is uh, a lot of pressure.
0: It's a lot of pressure and the idea of the lonesomeness. I mean, he's a solo artist. I mean, yes, he has a backing band, but he's not part of a group. He can't fall back on somebody. Okay, he's not Lennon to somebody else's McCartney. Right. You know, it's only him out there and he's got to feed his family and he's got to feed whomever is going on the road with him. That's right. So, yeah. So there's pressure to create, but there's also pressure to sustain and to monetize. And that's, you know, what somebody called the business of art Mm -hmm. and not being a one hit wonder too. And it leads me to the highways, but it keeps my body warm. I love this picture. I mean, he has to go out on the road but the process of touring and perform him performing it still excites him it still keeps him warm it means that his temperature is rising he gets excited he gets built up for it it's that and then the the flip side of that is what you see in bob seger's turn the page you know where It's long bus rides, there's nothing to do, there's bad weather, you're exhausted, there's anonymous women around you. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's substances, although for him, it was probably drinking more than anything Mm -hmm. else. But I just love that phrase. I mean, I can almost see that inscripted on somebody's tombstone or something.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because I think he still has that feeling. That's why he's still out doing the tours. It leads him to the highway and it keeps his body warm. Uh, To feel that audience love. And I don't know how you can't feel it because I can feel when I'm in the audience, I can feel myself emitting that love. And what a wonderful feeling. And to have people that know your songs. What a feeling that must be. This is on a much smaller scale, of course, but you know, I've written two books, and there are a couple high schools that read my books, and I go talk to the oh. schools. To go and talk to those students, and they are telling you parts of your book, and it gives me a rush. And I'm a nobody. I, I've sold a handful of books, mm-hmm. and he sold millions of records and fills huge auditoriums and to feel that rush, I'm sure it does keep his body warm.
0: Yeah. And you talked about this idea of People singing back to you stuff that you wrote, wrote. you created out of your soul and out of your emotion. And I'm in the same kind of boat as you are. I mean, I used to be a songwriter. I'm going to say used to be Mm -hmm. because I've written anything in years. But when you're at these gatherings, okay, and you hear people singing the song along with you that you wrote, and at the end of it, they're clapping like crazy. Yeah, You know, it's... There's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah. And so and we're I think small potatoes. And we're to small potatoes. I can't even imagine you know, yeah. the kind of level that Lightfoot has seen and felt and still feels.
2: Yes. Well, and not only that, but how many people have gone up to him after concerts, on the street, at his gym that have said, that song changed my life, or that song I could so relate to. My friend, Ursula, who's on the page, she talked to Gordon about one of his songs and what it meant to her. And he incorporated it that next night in the concert for her. But How
0: more special does I it know, that
2: I know, but to hear from someone, this song touched me so much. And it, what a feeling that must be. So yeah, when he says, it leads me to the highway and it keeps my body warm, I think that's how it was then. That's why he couldn't stop. That's why it is now how it is now. And that's why at 83, he still wants to go out on the road because he loves us and we love him. And it is
0: just the greatest feeling in the world. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Ordinary Man. But first, a word from one of our podcast
1: partners. Hey, do you like classic albums? So technically, like, the you know, the 20th century albums, um, such as, like, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones. I've only had Beatles episodes so far. However, I'm be doing more. But welcome to my show. Or rather, hey, welcome to... Check out my show. <laughs> um, all those years ago, a classic album podcast with the dipping sauce. Um, as you can see, the... Here, George Harrison reference um, I review classic albums um, Not of those The likes of Beethoven, the likes of The Beatles and Rolling Stones And like I mentioned earlier or uh, What have you um, So yeah, check it out, it's every Monday um, And I do albums Conspiracies, songs All that jazz, so just check it out All those years ago, a classic album podcast Wherever you get your podcasts <laughs>
0: You know, I almost think, and they're very different artists, but I think if you could have Turn the Page by Bob Seeger mm-hmm. as one A-side and Ordinary Man as the other A-side, it would be the perfect, you know, example <laughs> of what the road is like from the perspective of a working musician. Yeah. Because they've both gone through that. And as I wander to the cities and the towns, I get so lonesome knowing you could be around. And that says pretty much what it means. Right. You know, there's not a whole lot you know, obscure right. here. It does make me wonder, and maybe this wasn't done back in the early 70s, but it does make me wonder, hey, Gordon, why didn't you take Britta and the kids with you? You know, I mean, was, was the overhead going to be that high? I mean, if you wanted to be with them, couldn't you have worked that out somehow?
2: Yeah, I don't know that it was a matter of, um, he didn't want to, it was, I'm sure she didn't look forward to being on buses for, you know, months or weeks with little kids and, you know, maybe the kids were in school or, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, that's a big, um, that's a big commitment. And, uh, I remember reading the John Denver by autobiography
0: mm-hmm. and he
2: had the same issue. He wanted, he wanted her Annie to go on the road and she didn't want to go on the road.
0: You know, yeah. and she I can see, I,
2: kids, and you know,
0: I can remember the biopic that was done. Okay. Where he was mm-hmm. inviting her and she said, no, I wanted, to. he said, fine, stay in Aspen. You know? Yeah. You talked about John Denver, you know, going I, through that and, Maybe the rock scene had just changed by the 80s because I can remember Neil Diamond had some of the people in his band saying, we want to go off the road because we're going to have a kid or maybe they just Mm -hmm. had a kid. And Neil looked at them and was saying, hey, I really don't want you to go. You're right. The road is no place to raise a family. But he said, you know what? Come on, we'll make it one. And that probably says as much about Neil Diamond, as it says, about the way the rock world had changed. So I think in the 1970s, in addition to the fact, the practical factors, I don't want to go, I don't want to be on the bus. The kids are too small. They're in school. I think there may have been just you just didn't do that. It just wasn't done at that particular time.
2: And, um, you know, maybe the studios would have frowned on it. It's like, you know, you working for a big corporation saying, I want to bring my kids to work, you know uh and they're like no <laughs> back
0: know? in the 70s yes because yeah. they were although right. i think the music scene these days is a little bit more corporatized where they'd have that view i mean the the labels such as they are these days i mean they're lawyers and accountants right? Right. you know many of them don't have a clue about music yeah. i but think if they, you're huge you can do whatever you want but true but i mean he was also in he wasn't the Rolling Stones and he wasn't right. Elton John. Okay. Right. And it wasn't Bruce Springsteen. He That's wasn't right. making $20 million in 30 right. days, you know, so it may just not have been practical. That's so, right. Anyway.
2: Oh, and remember there is that scene in the BBC special where, um, Gordon announces on stage that Rick's wife just gave birth.
0: And uh, on
2: stage in England.
0: You know, mm-hmm. so kind of tells you how it was. It does. It yeah. does indeed. You know, at these days, I mean, obviously, I can't imagine the pressures that he was under. But when my kid was born, you know, there right. was nothing that was going to keep me. You know, I was right. ready to go at the drop of a hat. You know? Right. And when the show is over, there's a Holiday Motel, another empty bottle, and another tale to tell. Great poetry. Yeah. It alludes to Holiday Inn, okay, which is in those days was not a terribly expensive chain and probably isn't today either. Right. So he's obviously working on a budget. Okay. And the, the label or whomever, you know, is, you know, saying, okay, well, we want to keep expenses down. Right. Okay. Um, and then the empty bottle, he had started drinking pretty heavily by that time. Yeah. And, he was certainly drinking after shows to help him relax, maybe to numb the pain of being away from his family.
2: Well, uh, I, yeah, I think that another tale to tell, I think, refers to um, him having, you know, flings with groupies or something like that.
0: Well, on the other hand, I don't know if he would want to tell those tales. Yeah. <laughs> so you know it, right. he could, but yeah. I think it may that may have been that, or it may have been just the experience of being, you know, hey, let me tell you how this concert went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to think, you know, I wish that I could tell her in a way that she could understand. It comes back to this idea, yeah. of, you know, please understand. Understanding. Um, yeah. Try to comprehend. I'm not your ordinary friend. Now, here's the only part of the song where I kind of went, huh? I mean, he's talking about, I'm your ordinary friend, but it's clear that he's talking to somebody who's more than a friend in this entire song. So is this just poetic license? What do you think he's doing inserting friendship into this deal?
2: You know, I thought about that myself, but I believe this album was written during and post breakup. Um, So it could have been one of these things like, uh, you know, we're going to part as friends type thing, you know, we'll always be friends, if nothing else, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that's what I'm not your ordinary friend, you know, I'm your ex-husband, you know, Um, because then he goes on to talk about, you know, at the end of my life, you know, I want to be with you. So. Maybe he's saying, you know, I'm not just a friend anymore. I'm I'm not just a friend. Yeah, We might be broken up, but I'm not just a friend.
0: Yeah, I think there was that. I think it's also, there's not, I mean, how many words, how many synonyms are there for understand, okay? And when he came up with the comprehend, that may have been just, okay, this is the only thing. It could have been, yeah. Yeah. Um, At the end of my life, I would pray that I could be returning to the shelter of your love. Now, I don't know what he means when he's talking about the end of his life is he talking about it literally meaning that he considers her to be heaven or paradise or the reward for all of his labors or is he saying that he hoped that he would be with her when his career is over and he doesn't have to do the long stretches away from her
2: i Any think thoughts? that's what he's saying i think yeah. that's what he's saying that um when this is over you know whether it's his life or you know career whichever ends first you know he hopes to be back with her um you know you think that when you first break up you know um when you don't see anything else out there you know Mm. and you think boy you know i still love her but i gotta do this
0: yep and i'm I think most of us have been through that at some point, mm-hmm. you know, because we can't see beyond right. the heartbreak and it takes a long time for us to heal from that. Right. Then you have re- the repetition, try to see my side, et cetera. And then mm-hmm. as I wander to the cities and the towns, et cetera. And then the song finishes with, Try to understand. I'm not your ordinary man. Still, I can't deny you go with me everywhere, like a shadow in the gloom. I remember all the good times. There's a ghost in every room. Now we could probably do an entire uh, episode on ghosts in Gordon Lightfoot songs because yeah. there's at least three that I can and think shadows of. and shadows and shadows. Yes, but the tone here is very different you know, that it's not wistful and romantic. Now it's almost creepy, you know, shadows, gloom, ghosts. Those are negative things.
2: Well, I don't find it creepy. I just think um, he's saying, uh, when I'm in that dark place, you know, I'm still remembering all the good times. You're still with me like that shadow in the corner of my eye, you know, in that dark place. And I'm still remembering the good times. And, you know, you're still with me everywhere I go. I can't stop thinking about you.
0: Yeah. Or the other thing that I think of, although it's not Eerie in the sense of a literal, you know, phantasm. Right. But you know, could he be regretting things that he had done in those rooms? You know, like he comes back to the same hotel he was in a year ago and thinking, Oh, I remember what happened. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that, or things. And -hmm. of course, he kind of ends the song there. So we'll never know exactly what he means.
2: Yeah, I think um, because there is a lot of repetition in this song. Try to understand, you know, um, try to comprehend. I'm not your ordinary man. You know, uh, you still, uh, I still dream of you. But at the end of the song, it's like in the bad times, you know, I, I, I'm still remembering the good times and you're still with me. I'm still thinking about you. So yes. to me, it's, it's um, kind of like a, a bow on the package because the all of the song has been kind of similar and a little repetitive. And then you get this last verse, that's kind of different. And that last line uh, about the shadow and the uh, that's just, I love that line.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a completely different Tone for the song. And so I think it was interesting. It's a very typical folk song thing to do is Mm. to kind of change gears and to leave your audience kind of going, okay, what's next? (laughs) You know, and so he's pulling that trick out of his bag. We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about Ordinary Man. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners.
1: (laughs) Hi, this is Audie Martello, the host of the Mostly Folk podcast,
0: a 60 minute foray into the music we all love. You will
2: hear newly released albums, classic folk, country, and bluegrass music,
1: as well as some traditional music that may or may not be true to the genre. Sometimes irreverent, often opinionated, but
0: always entertaining. You may even hear a radio magic trick every so often, as well as numerous interviews via Zoom
1: and telephone with established as well as indie artists. Mostly Folk is available wherever you listen to podcasts and always at mostlyfolk.org. Talking
0: a little bit about the... Uh, how the song did. Okay. The song was, as you said, on Don Quixote, which came out in 1972, the album got to number one in Canada, which is not surprising. I don't know if it how many number ones he'd had in Canada by that time, the album got to 42 in the United States. So it just missed the top 40 and then 44 in the UK. The song was not released as a single. Um, If I remember right, there was Don Quixote uh, and, uh, beautiful. beautiful were released as singles and there was a third single that I can't remember but this song was not released as a single and I can understand why I mean it wasn't poppy enough it right. probably wasn't going to sell right. it's a good album cut and it's a beautiful song it's just not single material from what I can tell what is your favorite musical aspect of it we've talked about the words but in terms of the music what do you like
2: well, I think going back to what we talked about earlier, it's very troubadour esque, if that's a word.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: it's it's you know, I, I feel like I'm just sitting in a great hall, and the musician has come in, and he's it's just him and his guitar. Even though there is some other instruments on there, clearly, but it's it's just very simple, and um, and I do like. Uh, rick's bass in this that bum 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 that goes uh throughout the song uh yeah i like it
0: <laughs> yeah i've said that this is a throwback to his early days um mm-hmm. even though this is his eighth album you know this is something that could have shown up on lightfoot or the way i feel mm-hmm. um john stockfish could have played the bass on this and rick did a great job but right. I, I, it's not so phenomenal that i can't imagine well only rick haynes could have done that the strings were really nice i thought they were understated. Very uh, understated they didn't try to compete with the rest of the song the way that they did in approaching lavender or some other songs where mm-hmm. you kind of feel like okay just back the orchestra right, off right. a little bit yeah one thing i don't like about the song though and it's not often that I can say, you know, oh, gee, you know, there's a Gordon song, something about it that I don't like. But the thing that I didn't like about the song is that the melody goes all over the place. You know, it try to understand I'm not your own. And so there's like an eighth or a ninth, you know, an mm-hmm. interval there. OK, you need an amazing range okay, to sing that. And not many singers then or now have that range where they can really carry it off. So just speaking as a singer, I would not have written the melody with that many Mm. sort of peaks and valleys. I would have had it a little bit closer to the center, if you get my meaning. Yeah, I do. So not easy to sing, I guess is what I'm saying um uh, The people who played on this, you know, not too many surprises. Okay. Gordon was playing six and 12 string. Red Shea played high string guitar for listeners who don't know what that means. It's a 12 string, but you take the regular strings off. So you're just left with the octave strings. Okay. So you're playing six strings, but they're all an octave higher than the strings that you would have had otherwise. Uh, classical guitar, and then dobro, which I don't think there was any dobro in this song. Terry Clements played lead acoustic guitar, but there's not a lot of fills in this song. So mm-hmm. Terry may not even have played on it. Rick Haynes played bass. Rye Cooter played mandolin, although again, I don't think there was any mandolin on this particular song. Mm-hmm. Rye Cooter by that time is just beginning to establish himself uh, as something other than a session man. Uh, and then Nick DiCaro did the string arrangements and Nick did a few others uh, for uh, Gordon. And here's the thing that shocked me the most. Okay. From what I could tell from setlist.fm, okay, Gordon has played this song, Wait for It, zero times in concert. That's shocking to me. Yeah. It was shocking to me until I reflected that the strings are part of the song that really make it and they add a certain emotional element to it that you can't reproduce in concert unless you bring an orchestra with you or you know bring the strings with you or if you really want to be you know cheat about it and you know say portions of the next song are pre-recorded and away you go um so it was unusual that he would not have played it very much but if you wanted to reproduce the feeling that it gives you I could understand that I just thinking I would think that you have tried it a few times and then and then retired it if it wasn't working but he's never played it in concert
2: and I don't remember hearing it if I did it's been a long time ago so I I can't dispute that but I find that hard to believe but yeah
0: no. At, at least what's what setlist.fm you yeah know, said. there may have been they may have left something out so i'm not saying declaratively right that, right right you know, right yeah but you know that's that and these days i don't know if he would have the vocal chops to to do it at all yeah so, that was not with that range no i would have i would think that he would have to either transpose it down okay or rewrite the melody and if he's rewriting the melody he might as well just write a new song quite honestly. Um, no one has covered the song as of this recording. Okay. At least as far as I can tell. Um, and we've said many times, we'll say it one more time. Okay. That particularly with Gordon Lightfoot, once you've heard the master, it's hard to think of anybody else, you know, singing this, is there anybody you thought of that, you know, could pull this off then or today?
2: Um, People are probably going to hate
0: this, but I think
2: John Denver actually could do it.
0: I can kind of hear that, depending on what key it was in. Mm-hmm. Um, I can hear him do that, and I—he certainly. This is right up his street, right? You know, the early days, the early seventies, mm-hmm. pre Rocky Mountain High, right? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I could hear Steve Winwood doing this, but. I don't know how much of a folk singer he is. Right. So um, Roy Orbison certainly had the range, but I don't think the timbre of his voice would work. Um, Maybe Garth Brooks, maybe Darius Rucker, but you'd have to change the feel of it. They would have to add their own flavor to it. And I would like to hear a demo of that. I don't know if that would sell. Yeah. If any of them did it.
2: Interesting. So, yeah. You. Those are good choices though. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Any, uh, closing thoughts on this one, Deb, and maybe, uh, as we're, cause we're wrapping up, this has been a series where we've been talking about autobiographical songs yeah. and we've just scratched the surface, right. you know, with the four that we've done, there are many, many more that we could use, but, mm-hmm. um, any closing thoughts on this song or why it deserves the place in the Lightfoot canon that it has?
2: Um, well, first of all, I think it's off a great album. I think if you ask most people, Don Quixote is right up there for favorite albums. Um, and a lot of the stories, a lot of the songs do seem connected to me. So it's like hearing one big story. But that song, I, I don't know. I, you know, how do you explain why a song touches you? This song is probably in my top 15. I love this song Um, and I think looking at all the songs we've looked at, I am um, not amazed but that he's so cued in to his career, his drive for that career, what it's cost him, the regrets he has, but yet he never loses the feeling of the people he left behind Uh, You know, we hear that in a lot of the songs. It is just a masterful song. And clearly, looking at all the songs that we've done in this autobiographical grouping, he had an ambition to move forward, and it cost him something. But clearly, this is what this man was put on this planet for. This is his destiny. And so it's cost him a lot. I think he's aware of it. I think there's some regrets, but ultimately, I think this is what he was meant to do. And I think he's aware that he was given this gift and that's what he was meant to do.
0: I think of the four that we've looked at, this might be the one that would be his epitaph. And I mean that not by trying to cancel anything that he would do in subsequent years or what he may do yet. But that if you were to say in his tombstone, I'm not your ordinary man, it brings out so much of definition of the guy. And he's saying at at the peak of his songwriting powers, but he's doing it without being sappy and without being nostalgic. He's just, you know, again, painting a picture and being absolutely earnest. Uh, And so I think it's just perfect as an autobiographical song and it's a great way to end this little mini series yeah. that we've had. Yeah. Right. We will of course, have you back on the show probably in the second season, Very uh, good. but I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot and you're always a great person to talk to. So Deb, Thanks. thank you so much. Thanks Mike. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Our next episode will be coming out in late December. I'm going to knock off for Christmas and to finish up final exams. My guest will be Ron Skelton, and he will be discussing my favorite of all of Gordon's songs, Don Quixote. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time.
1: Try to understand I'm not your ordinary man, still I can you go with me everywhere when I'm dreaming. You still share my lonely nights. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like
2: European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus...